Good morning. Let's do that one more time. Good morning. We're in a book today. It's called Haggai. Some people call it Haggai, kind of like you draw it out. You know, if you're in the South, maybe we, we make everything multiple syllables. Have you noticed that? <coughs> but I think the pronunciation of this word is Haggai. So we're going to be over there. Uh, it's one of the last few books, the last three books there of the Old Testament. Uh, he's one of the minor prophets. And uh, <coughs> he was born during uh, the festival time, during the feast uh, time. And uh, his name means, I think, festive. And so we're going to look at him. And there's some incredible words in the life of this minor prophet. Matter of fact, I think he gives us hope and I think he encourages us. I mean, like last weekend, I left here, man, I was depressed, you know. <clears throat> but I'm trying to preach God's word consistently. And sometimes topics are is not as joyful. And last weekend was this Nahum and impending judgment. And you're like, whoa, that was heavy. Well, today, Haggai, we, we begin to look at his life. And I think he would say, I want to motivate the church in 2015. I want to encourage you. How many of you want encouraging news? Okay, well, we'll come back next week. I'll get you a really nasty prophet. No, here's the deal. We, <clears throat> we need to be encouraged in our faith. We want to press on to know Christ, to make him known. And uh, so in this book, we're, we're going to learn some amazing things together. So I hope you've turned there. He's calling people back to their faith. He's calling people to come back to God, to come home, uh, to have Christian morals, to have Christian values, to have uh, Christian convictions. Now, <clears throat> in this time, there, uh, to give you a little history, there's been this united kingdom, and then there's a divided kingdom. And can you imagine what they divided over? In, any guess? Not rhetorical. Any guesses? I mean, not a huge crowd, so I feel like I can kind of, I almost want to just sit in the middle of the floor, but that'd be horrible for video. What, uh, do you know what they divided over? The same thing we will divide over today. What? Starts with a T. Taxes. Isn't that a great thing to divide over? Man, they were irritated about all these taxes that were being levied on them and excised on them, and, and people were taking advantage of them. So they divided over that. And so there's a, uh, uh, it's not a united, it's a divided kingdom. There's a northern kingdom. There's a, a, a southern kingdom. The kingdom. There's Israel. There's Judah. <clears throat> there's uh, 2,600 years ago, we, we, we find the writings from this prophet. There's, it's the shortest book of the prophets. It's only 38 verses. And you can go, man, that's awesome. <laughs> it's two chapters in length. You can read it relatively in a very short uh, sitting, and you might go, well, I don't even understand part of it, so I'll try to help you. There's <clears throat> 10 tribes that go to the north, that's Israel, and there's two tribes that go to the south, and they're Judah. And the northern kingdom eventually just gets wiped out, okay? And, uh, and it's, it's not very, it's a long story. And then, <clears throat> and then these people, they, they go off into captivity, and they're held captive for a long period of time. Matter of fact, they're held captive for like 70 years, and it's really tough over there. And <clears throat> they're here in this southern kingdom, and Nebuchadnezzar is, a, is a, an egotistical, powerful king, and he's ruling over the people. And the Babylonians attack and destroy, and there's captivity, and it rains and rains. And yet, in this book, Haggai goes, I want to get the people moving again. I want to motivate the people to walk in the ways of God. I want them to, to follow God, to, to love them. And look right across the top. Message truth. Just put God first and enjoy the blessings of the Lord. Now, that's a, <clears throat> a simplistic uh, statement. But, I mean, if, if you and I 
will adhere to that one statement. If we'll tether our hearts to putting God first, it's amazing. Everything else works out. Matter of fact, the verse would be this. It's a common verse. It's Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first, not last, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what else? And, all these, and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. But seek, not last, seek his kingdom first. And how guys going? Y'all have really been concerned about yourself. Matter of fact, he blasts them. And we're going to look at that scripture this morning. And, and it's very obvious they're not interested in the temple of God. They're not interested in things of God. Not totally. <clears throat> they have lip service. Do you know anybody that has lip service? Don't look at anybody. Have you ever been a practitioner of lip service? Sure, we all have. It's easy to talk the talk. We can talk the Christian jargon. But it's another thing to act, to be a doer, to be a doer, not a mere hearer of the word. So, so here he is. And <clears throat> I think he would say to the, to the people there, to the Jewish people, and I think he would say to us, there's something that's crept into the temple. There's something that's crept into the church. And I want you to write it in the margin day. I left you room for notes. I, I'm going to give you a lot more on how you'll get it in there. But if you like to take notes, some of you do. It's called apathy. The people have gone to sleep. The people are lethargic. The people are indifferent. They're, there's just indifference in the land. They're not concerned about the things of God. <clears throat> and something in them burned out. I see it in the church of the living Christ over the 33 years I've been a pastor. I've seen people start out as a youth, passionate about the Savior. And somewhere along the road, the journey... They went to the side. They put Christ on the shelf. Christ became third, fourth, fifth. And he wasn't exalted. He wasn't Lord. He wasn't master. So Haggai really talks about that, about uh, <clears throat> here's, what, here's what Haggai does. He goes, you know what? You guys need a swift kick in the spiritual pants. Have you ever been kicked before? Have you ever been spanked and you knew you needed it and it got you going in the right direction? Sure, we all have. It's called life. And here, spiritually, I think he tries to assess this and he tries to motivate the people to move on. So <clears throat> there's all these people, and I could tell you history for days, but there's, uh, the, the priests are getting vested. They're getting all with their garments, and, and there's all these people in the kingdom, and they're doing their things. And, and, and uh, under Cyrus, I believe he's the king, after a while, you see, you have to read this book in with Ezra. Just write down Ezra, and you can go there and read that this afternoon. But Ezra begins to even kind of parallel this book. And so they go to the people, and, uh, and it's kind of, so it's, it's really a, a tough thing. So there's, there's a group of people, and they're all about, uh, man, this stinks. This is not like the former glory. It's like we would say, the good old days, the good old days we did this, the good old days we did this in our church or our experience or whatever. <clears throat> and they were so saturated with the past and they compared everything and they looked back continually. And, and uh, so they, they, they sized everything up. and They're like, man, this is not a very good temple. This is like Solomon's temple. Man, this is, this is boring. This is pitiful. And there's a, a younger group <clears throat> that's come out of captivity and they're like, hey, we've got stuff to do. So there's like 50,000 people that come out in to do this great work because Darius, uh, he has these rebellious Jews in his midst and, and they begin to new, uh, do their thing. But uh, Haggai would just go, all right, guys, enough. Enough is enough. God's got something for us to do. So I want you to look there <coughs> in your scriptures with me and I want you to see where we're trying to go with this. So 
these, these 50,000, they return back into the land. They, they come back home. They come back into Jerusalem, and they've got a task. They've got to rebuild. Nehemiah, we know from Scripture, he was responsible to rebuild the, the walls. Here's Haggai, and he's saying, but we've got to rebuild the temple. And, and that's what God's got for us. So let's look here in Scripture. <clears throat> in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. Isn't that a great name? Somebody just circle that name. Wouldn't that be the coolest name to name your kid? Zerubbabel. Just call him Z. Hey, Z. Okay, nobody. I, I thought it was kind of a cool name. Son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. You, you know what I'm tempted to do when I read scripture like this? And there was J, and there was S, and there was Z. Yeah, that's what you do. I know. Okay, okay. In verse 2. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write it there. Excuses. The people just make an excuse. Yeah, it's not time. It's not time to build in Jerusalem. It's not time to do the temple. And you know, we make excuses in our lives for things that God wants us to do. Now, it's called sin, and it's called being indifferent. It's called being apathetic. But sometimes God has put something in our heart. There's a burning. There's a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And you know that you need to do it. But you, it's not time. You make an excuse. So <clears throat> I look at that verse 2, and I'm like, man, that's so much like us. So there's 15 years here. The, the temple just lays in ruins. The, the people are there. The people have come back in through a decree, 50,000 to rebuild the temple. I think it's like 42,000 workers, and then <clears throat> they had singers and all these different people, but 50,000 people. And there's this political leader, and his name is Zerubbabel. And he's, he eventually, after some things in history, he becomes the governor because there's a new king and all that. But let's just keep moving here because I want you to see these people. He makes an excuse. The, the, the persecution here in this land, we'll see. Let's move. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this ha house remains a ruin? Now, you read that and you go, do they have paneling a few thousand years ago? Now, I know some of you are older like me and a lot of you are younger and you have no concept. Just let me look at the, I want to talk to the teenagers. Do y'all know what paneling is? Yeah, I didn't think so. Okay. <clears throat> when I was growing up, the, the building supply houses sold us a bill of goods. And everything was paneling. And we all paneled our houses. We built a lake place and we paneled and people paneled. And you had these paneled dens and paneled whatever. And then decorators came a few decades later. And what did we do to the paneling? You've been there. you got the T-shirt, have you? <clears throat> so when y'all, young people, when you walk in a house sometimes and you see paneling, you don't, you see a lot of paneling. Sometimes you see houses with paneling, but a lot of times it's been painted over. Or here he goes, <clears throat> y'all live in your paneled houses. Now, let me tell you why that's interesting. You're like, okay, well, I'm glad you told us that, but that makes no sense. Israel is not known for wood. Israel is known for stones. <clears throat> Go to Israel. I've been there. Stone edifices, stone buildings, stone homes. <clears throat> I'm going to really mess you up right now. We say Jesus was a carpenter. His earthly father's name was 
Guys, this is not hard. His earthly father's name was <coughs> Joseph. And we go. And little Jesus boy, he would sit down with his father, and I bet, I bet he built tables and chairs, and I bet he did all this. Well, just saying, <coughs> when you look at it in the Greek, and you look at these words, I'm not sure that Jesus was a wood builder. I think he probably fashioned stuff with stone. Just, just saying, okay? Don't stone me. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, <coughs> but what I'm saying is stones. Stones were common. And the people are so obsessed with their own homes. <coughs> they had to leave Jerusalem to go find trees to get paneling. And it was a, a luxury to have these luxurious homes of paneling. And yet God's got something to say to them because they don't care about God's house. The Bible says, my house, the Father speaking, my house lays in ruins. You're concerned about your house, but you're not concerned about my house. <clears throat> Let's think about that in 2015. God dwells in a temple not made with hands in our hearts. This is a living structure of church. And so there's a place for this. <clears throat> it's a place that we gather. It's a place that we nurture. It's a place we have community. So there ought to be a high priority that we're concerned with God's house. And yet we're concerned with our own homes and our own yards and our own whatever. And God says, be concerned with my house. I, I can talk about that forever, but <clears throat> I, I think I'm making the point and you're seeing that it's very serious to God and, and God has something for him. So let's just continue to move on. <clears throat> Verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. That particular word is found four different times in two chapters. Give careful thought. I would underline it right now in your Bible. <coughs> I would read this book later, and the four times I found it, I would underline it. God, when God repeats something, God is not limited in vocabulary. God is not stuttering. God repeats things for what reason? Because he wants to get our attention. Because God wants us to know. And he says, consider my ways. Be careful. Give careful thought to your ways. And then you have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, you never have your fill. You put on clothes, you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in the purse with holes in it. <coughs> that last part means you're a teenage parent. <laughs> your pockets have holes in them. See, this is kind of cool now. I don't, I don't have teenagers anymore. Look there. I don't have holes in there. Actually, I just pulled $10 out of there. That never happened when I had teenagers at home. <coughs> you know what I'm saying? And I, I know your teenagers are going, he's making fun of me. No, I'm just telling the truth. I was the same way when I was a teenager. My kids were teenagers. They're great kids. You're great kids. And some of you are like, I'm not a kid. I know. But you have, how many of you feel like you have holes in your pockets when it comes to resources? Yeah, I mean, it just flows through or you just have holes and just, so... He's talking about this paneled house. Now he's talking about uh, not neglecting the house of God. And he just says, hey, uh, verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. What's the next line that he says? Give careful thought to your ways. He's repeating it again. He wants the people to know. I, I want you to hear this. I want you to see what I have for you. <laughs> and, uh, but the people are like, it's not, they're thinking, it's time for me to focus on me. And God's like, no, you've focused on yourself enough. But you've neglected the greater. You've neglected the house of God. <clears throat> so this morning, the word would be to the church. Let's make sure we don't forget the body of Christ. Let's not neglect God's house. It is priority. It's a focus for Christians. 
And so what does that mean? Is God condemning wealth? Absolutely not. <clears throat> the Bible says wealth is not sin. He says money's not sin. Money is amoral. But he says the love of money, obsessed with money, that, that would be simple. That would be the thing that, that would become the priority, the master mammon, the God in our life. And God's like, I, I don't want you to do that. I want, I want you to move on. So <clears throat> 15 years, they're just laying, uh, they're sitting around doing their thing. They're raising kids. They're having agriculture. They're having school. And the temple is just, it ain't, it ain't happening. It's just laid in ruin. It, it's, it's not a priority with the people. And priority, I want you to write this thought down. I think, I think this is kingdom. <clears throat> priority should be connected to heart. The priority of the kingdom of Christ should be connected to our heart. Where we find our heart, we find our treasure. And that's why Jesus talks more about money than he does any other subject. And this isn't a money sermon, but Jesus is saying, I know when I find your treasure, I'm going to find what you're really about, what your possession is, what your focus, what your priority. Matthew just says, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You can give me service all day. You can give me lip service. You can talk the good game. But when it comes to really defining your life, there's going to be some treasure. There's going to be some focus. There's going to be a priority in me. You're going to show, Lord, I care more about your kingdom than I do my kingdom. <clears throat> now, I've often, I've often thought about this. I became a Christ follower in 1978. And uh, I was raised in a non-Christian home, had great family, and, and came radically to Jesus. And I remember I'd been a Christian about two weeks, and my spiritual mentor came up to me. He goes, Keith, you need, to, you need to tithe. And I still remember what I said. I go, tithe? What is that, bro? I mean, I did not know. I was so hungry for God. I was reading the Word. I was sharing my faith, but I was ignorant. And, and he says, well, here's what it is, and it's 10% of your income, and you give it to the Lord, and you're faithful. And he started taking me to Scripture. I said, hey, bro. I don't know why I said bro. I just did. And he says, like, if that's what you need to do, I said, if that's what God says, I'm going to do it. And I just started practicing it. And, and that was just <clears throat> obedience, and I'm glad. And as I made more money, I just continued to say, Lord, you know, it's not even mine anyway. I just return it to your house. And then, Lord, I can give offerings on top of my tithes. And it just became who I was and who Donna was. And then we taught that to our kids. And then I've been trying to teach a church that for 19 years. And we just say, that's the ways of God. And how many people say, praise God? And some people are like, well, I don't like that. Well, there are a lot of things you probably don't like, but it's called obedience, and God says, obey me, and, and, and let me see your treasure. Let me be the priority. Because <clears throat> you can start off zealous for Christ, and you can fade. You can drift. I see that in people all the time. They drift. They're not going to make it to the finish line. They're not enduring in the Lord. This morning, my, my, my message, my passion is I want to motivate you. I want to push you. I want to stir you toward the finish line in Jesus Christ. Is that a good word? You're like, man, I want to do that. Like, well, no, I just want to, uh, you know, God's work, you know, it's important. But God's work is going to take a back seat. <laughs> no. You let your work take a back seat. Matthew 6, Put Christ's work first and then follow him. So, <clears throat> he, he, so let's just keep moving. So there in these verses, he's talking about give careful, careful thoughts to your ways. Verse 8, go up into the mountains, bring down the timber, build a house, and I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. And the Lord's basically saying, when you honor me, when you honor my house, I take great delight. I take pleasure in that. How many of you want the Lord to take pleasure in you? Boy, I do. I want the Lord to be pleased with me. Church, I want God to be pleased with you. I want God to be exceedingly glad that he, when he sings and rejoices over you because you please him. 
So I, I see all these principles, and I could talk about principles forever because I, I just love this, and <clears throat> let's just keep going here. So uh, let's pick up here, verse 9. You expected much, but you see it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because the heavens have withheld their due, the earth its crops, I called for a drought in the fields, the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the oil, whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. You know what that says to me? God called down judgment. God <coughs> withheld the blessing. And some people are like, well, I just thought God's to bless us. God is not celestial Santa Claus. Can I just tell you that this morning? God doesn't exist just to bless us. He is holy. There is none other like him. He is above all. And he does love to bless his kids. I understand that. That's a principle of, of the scriptures. But we, we got to get this right. Sometime in all this new age and prosperity gospel and all that stuff just makes me sick. I'm like, man, that's not... It's not full gospel. That's not what Jesus teaches. So <clears throat> look there in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, and he goes on through here, the high priest, the whole remnant of the people, he obeyed the voice of the Lord. Circle the word obeyed. He obeyed God. And the message of the prophet Haggai, because of the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. They obeyed. And then there was great fear that came in them. <clears throat> so I think it's kind of cool. They obeyed God. So this morning, one of the premises I want you to get out, are you obeying God? I've already given you several things that you could think about scripturally and you can think about applicably to your life and you can make application to you this morning. But I want you to look on this hand and I want you to see something. <clears throat> Three reasons uh, why, uh, matter of fact, let me go up to the other one. Leadership highlights and Haggai. Just fill this box in real quick. If I forget the ultimate, I'll be enslaved to the immediate. To the immediate. If I'm so concerned about all these other things, and I forget the ultimate being the Lord, then <clears throat> the things that are, are temporary, the things that are in front of me will control me and I'll center on. So God says, I don't want you to be enslaved to the immediate. I want you to be controlled and centered on the eternal. Look at the next one, leadership perspective. Keeping your eyes <clears throat> on the big picture. I want, to get, I want you to get your eyes on the big picture this morning. The big picture is the kingdom of Christ, and it's not our little kingdoms. We all build kingdoms. We, we do. I mean, you're like, uh, I'm not the king. Well, okay. But I think you do have a kingdom. And as pastors, sometimes people go, oh, you're building your kingdom. No, no. It's not my kingdom. It's Jesus' kingdom. It's Jesus' church. Jesus has to build it. Jesus has to keep it. Jesus has to sustain it. Jesus has to nurture it. He chooses to work through people. But it belongs to Jesus. And the church said, like right now, <clears throat> if I can be ever so raw, I get fearful and concerned sometimes with finances around here. We've had high, we've had low, we've had indifferent. Summer crowds have been really off. In the last two weeks, God has just done supernatural stuff with our crowds being off. We've had amazing offerings the last two weekends. I've been like, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know what I'm saying? You're like, well, you get excited about that. Oh, I do get excited about when the doors stay open. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> but here's why I tell you that story. At the end of the day, it's Jesus' church. It's not my church. Never been my church. It's his church. Jesus loves his bride more than I'll ever know. But he's got people in it, and the people have a responsibility to not let his church lay in ruins, and the church prosper. And the church said, that is a good word, pastor. Amen? Y'all could have. Y'all ain't the amen crowd, are you? Like, hey, you know, I got to get some of my charismatic friends back in here or something. I don't know what it is, man. Y'all are just like, hey, you know, whatever. All right, three reasons. Look here. Three reasons why you might be stuck. 
<coughs> this is a practical word. I'm going to kind of come out of the text, but it's speaking to the text. When you're self-absorbed. You, 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 ever, you ever been stuck before? You ever got stuck in traffic? <laughs> oh, yeah, that just makes you want to cuss. I mean, it makes you want to praise. You ever got stuck in, in a grocery line? I, I, have a, I have a unique gift. When I go to Walmart, I don't know what it is about Walmart. I know Walmart's not going to be in heaven. Praise God. <laughs> I go to Walmart. Now, I don't understand this. There's 37,000 registers. Slight exaggeration. And there's three clerks. <clears throat> and Pastor Keith goes up there. Because I'm like, you know, I got to move. I got to go. And I'm watching. And then I go, oh, it's this line. And I go over here and I get in this line. And I'm standing. And then I'm watching the person I was standing right behind. They've done, got their stuff, processed, and they're waving at me on the way out. Yeah, does anybody get ticked off about that? Okay, we'll go to Walmart this afternoon. Maybe you can have that experience. All right. You ever get stuck? You ever got stuck when you couldn't pay your bills? You got stuck and you feel like, hey, I think Haggai says, hey, there's a better day ahead. There's a temple coming. <coughs> Self-absorbed. Here it is. The people, the principle is this. The people were absorbed with themselves more than they were with God. And when you and I get stuck, we need to look and go, is there self-absorption? Is there worship of self? Is there more thinking about me? Let's look at the second one. Tomorrow. <coughs> that word wrecks more things than I know. It wrecks marriages. It wrecks families. It wrecks education pursuits. It just wrecks all kinds of things. <coughs> there's a club called Procrastinators Club of America. I think there's like at least 16,000 members. Some of y'all to join. No, no, you don't want to do that. <coughs> but the thing is, have, have you ever been doing something your mom says, hey, or, 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 or your wife or your husband says, you need to do this and you go, Tuh. yeah, y'all say that too. <coughs> and Donna knows. If she asks me to do something, I need to do it right then. I'm not a robot. <clears throat> she loves me. She serves me incredibly. But what happens is if she tells me and then I do it then, hey, there's victory, man. It is a good thing because it's like I accomplished that. But if I go, you know, I'm thinking tomorrow I'm going to water the plants. I'm thinking tomorrow would be a great day for the trash to go out. I'm thinking tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. How many of you already say, man, that is a good word. I need to hear that. How many of you are putting everything about off to tomorrow? And James says, don't boast about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries of itself. It'll take care of its own. <coughs> Do it today. And let's look at the third one. <coughs> the word back. If you're always looking back, you stay stuck. Here. They were looking back to the former temple. They were looking back to the former glory. You were looking back to the former experience. Guys, it's okay to look back in this sense. There's uh, stones of remembrance. It's called Joshua. And we have memorial stones. And it's good to celebrate what God has done in the past. But if you are constantly looking back, you never make progress. And as a church, we've continually got to set our eyes on the prize, on the Lord Jesus, and we've got to look forward, not back, and walk in present-day reality. Amen? Not looking back. Man, I need this word. I'm like, God, <coughs> four most discouraging words. These are four of the most discouraging words I know. Things will never change. <laughs> yeah, you like that. I hear it all the time. My marriage partner will never change. Hmm? Have you thought about changing? My situation will never change. Never change. Yeah. If you say that, you begin to believe that, 
It is probably not going to change. But you begin to look forward. You begin to say, Lord, I want to apply. I want to put your word. So <clears throat> look here. Verse 12. They obeyed the voice of the Lord. They feared the Lord. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, he gave his message. And I'm with you, declares the Lord. So the, I love verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. In the New Living Translation, <clears throat> I think it says, and he um, sparked the enthusiasm of the people. But I like stir up. This morning, my prayer is that I'm stirring you up spiritually to be more for Christ, in Christ, and walk with the authority of Christ. Stirring you up. <clears throat> A great coach. They stir their team's affections and emotions and talents up. A pastor, to be effective, he stirs the people's hearts with the word of God. And this morning, we're just looking at Scripture, and I'm believing, God, your word does not return void. I preach your word. I'm proclaiming it. God, let it produce a fruit in this house. Let it produce fruit in lives. And then, <coughs> so you're going through there, and I'm going, man, they, man, Lord, I love that. So they, they stir up the spirit of Zerubbabel, and God is wanting to stir us up this morning. So just write in your margin. Am I stirred up? Can I be stirred up? Or am I indifferent? Am I just apathetic? Do I just not care? And I hope you care. I hope you love God's house with all your heart. And you go, man, what can I do? How, how can I be a part of it? Um, but when we have salvation, it means we're liberated. And yet, I see a principle here in Haggai. There you go. Narcissism abounds. The people are so about self. They're so narcissistic, it's pathetic. They're so committed to themselves and to their own paneled houses. And God says, in my house, my temple lays in ruins. Let's move through here because I want you to see this. So you, you, you go through that section. He wants us to seek him and he wants us to be repentant in our hearts. And we fear the Lord and we obey the Lord and we walk in victory. And we go, God, it's everything that you want me to be. And then <clears throat> he goes to chapter two, the promised glory of the new house. Now, I want you to see this. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came throughout the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? See, they're, they're all looking back. They're all <coughs> hung up on what it used to look like, the great temple that was ruined, that was destroyed. And I'm thinking, man, that's a word for us. Sometimes we, we can get held on or captive by that. But there's a remnant here. God's always got a remnant. And here he's got a remnant of 50,000 people. But even these 50,000, some of them are older and some are younger. And some are trying to look to the past. And so Haggai has to, has to deal with that. He's like, this temple we're building, it looks like a shack compared to Solomon's temple. This is pathetic. And Haggai's like, no. No, God's got, God's got more for us. There's <clears throat> discouragement. Here's what I'd say to you practically today. <clears throat> discouragement sets into the people. So the temple lays in ruins for 15 years. Only a little foundation is laid and a lot of rubble. If, if you, if I get discouraged, we're in trouble. And discouragement quickly moves to bitterness. And bitterness, I find, if we don't deal with it, it moves to being done. And this morning, I'm just thinking, God, 
Encourage the people at Christ community. Encourage my heart, Heavenly Father, that I will stay true to the task that you've called me to. That my friends will stay at the wall, as Nehemiah said, there's too much to do. I can't come down from the wall. I have to fulfill the word of the Lord. Does that encourage anybody today? You encourage yourself. My good friend, Ray Johnston, the pastor at Bayside in Sacramento, <clears throat> he's a man of eternal hope. And he tells me all the time, he says, Keith, you've got to keep yourself encouraged. If the pastor gets discouraged and stays there, you're done. And people always will say that. People that know, like, yeah. And in your marriage, when you lose hope in your union, you're going down a rough road. When you lose hope or you lose, uh, you're not believing in your kids anymore, man, things start going south. But when you begin to say, God, I want to draw on your resources. God, I believe in them. You can rise above and you can sell. How many people want to be a part of a life like that? Boy, I do. I don't want to be hung up looking back in the shack or going, hey, the, the temple. And yet, Haggai would say, but God's at work. The people have been in captivity. They've been released. God's got a work for them to do. And there's one crowd. Ah, he's not like the former glory. And they're weeping. <clears throat> and the other group, they're shouting. They're high-fiving. And they're dancing. And all this noise is coming out of the camp as you read through Haggai. So there's weeping. And they're shouting in the same camp. And my prayer is that somehow God's going to take you and me together. And we're not going to weep as much as we're going to shout and worship and praise and look ahead and realize that God's got something greater for our church to do. How many believe that today? See, I think we've got a future. No. I know we have a future in Jesus Christ. A lot of people have said a lot of things, and people have left, and people have come, and da 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 All I know is God is teaching your pastor through Haggai that you happen to be listening, and I think God is saying, you can think about the former glory, but I've got something new, and I've got something greater than you've ever seen. Will you take my hand and follow me in faith and obey me? Will you do that, church? Do you want to go for what God's got for your life? Or like, oh, no, I'm just going to sit back. And the temple is just going to fall apart and it's going to fall in ruins. But I got paneling in my house. Doesn't that sound stupid, teenagers paneling? Who wants paneling? I want Christ. Do you want Christ? Guys, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I could preach on this for hours. I've studied this Old Testament history. I felt like I was back in seminary the last several weeks going back to the Minor Prophets. But I just, I see these principles of the kingdom. You see, the, the, the first one is you allow the rear view mirror to dictate the front window. When you drive your car, teenagers, this is a great word for you. <clears throat> you're driving your car. You do not obsess over the rearview mirror. If you do, you're going to run over people. I mean, it's important to see who's behind you. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm not saying taking the rearview mirror down. That's not good. But you've got to look forward in faith. You've got to look out to what God's got. How many people want to do that today? Lord, I want to look for what you've got in the future. I'm looking forward to you. I'm trusting in you. I'm focused on you, Lord. Not, well, you know, the good old days of marriage, the good old days of being a teenager, the good old days of church, the good old... Can I just be really honest? The good old days. When I talk to people, the good old days ain't near as good as we make them. Have you ever noticed that? <clears throat> I think about the glory days around here when this place was packed with 500 people. There was standing room only. And I miss part of that. But let me tell you, 
when I start going through it, there was a lot of other stuff. I'm thinking, oh, the good old day. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you're like, no, no, I'm not getting discouraged. I'm not getting bitter. I'm going to follow Christ, and we're going to walk with Christ, and we're going to believe Christ for what he's got around the corner, and we're going to walk together in unity and community. How many of you want to do that together? Oh, yeah, but, uh, and I hear people, Pastor, can we play the good old songs? Now, hold up a minute. I started a contemporary church in 1996 with my wonderful bride. And when we started the word contemporary, we knew we, we were going to be a part of a church that would be continually changing. <laughs> and the good old songs of 96, and the good old songs of 2000, and the good old songs of 2005. And can I just be so real? There are some songs I am glad we put to bed. And there are some songs that I listen to in my car, and I wish we'd bring them back. But God also has a lot of new music, and it's a combination of the two. Is that a good word, church? But a lot of times, ah, you know, when you did that, it's my favorite song. It wasn't my favorite song. Like, here's a song I love, and I'm going to date myself, but I don't care. I am a friend of God. I used to jump up and down and would come off this stage, and I was so jacked up. And I tell Jeff, and he just goes, help me, Jesus. <laughs> Deliver me. Or we sing another song. I mean, you know, it's just, it, it's a movement. It's a movement. We're going forward. Does anybody have a witness this morning? Has this spoken to anybody today? <clears throat> I'm just sharing my heart, and I'm, I'm fired up, and I'm hopeful. And, and yet, let, let's keep going. Look what he says, verse 4. But now, be strong. Circle the word strong. <clears throat> That's what he's telling him there. Take courage. The temple can be rebuilt. Your life can change. Your marriage can change. Your family dynamics can change in the power and the strength of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, I, I believe it can. So in my Bible, I got it boxed in. Be strong. <clears throat> Be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, the strong. <clears throat> Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work. Here's the second word. Go to work. Be strong in his strength, and then go to work. A lot of people, well, I don't want to work. I want somebody to give it to me. That's what's wrong with America right now, if you really know what I, want, what I think. People need to go to work. If you're able, you need to go to work. And you heard it right here from this platform. Hallelujah. Amen? Come on, you, you put your hands together on that one. That was all right, man. People need to work. Yeah, that's right. Go to work. You need to pray. You need to be strong. You need to go to work. You're like, oh, man, you're fired up about this. Well, that's what preachers do. You know, definition of preaching, somebody that gives religious communication activities in a tiresome, boring manner. I ain't signing up for that. Okay, be strong, uh, go to work, and look what he says. For I am with you. You're not doing this alone. You're doing it with Christ. He walks alongside you. He fills you with the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Take courage, get to work. I'm with you. And then, what does he say the last one here? And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. All through Scripture, when there's a hard work to do, Jesus says, do not fear. The angel, do not fear. Here in Haggai, Haggai, do not fear. Lord, I don't want to be fearful. You're God. I want to come with you. I want to follow you. <clears throat> no matter how discouraged I get, Lord, I'm going to overcome. I'm going to take courage. I'm going to, I'm going to fight this good fight. I'm going to stand firm and let you do your work. <clears throat> Move here. I want you to see so he moves on through here. And then verse 6, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations will come. And I will fill the house with glory. 
And he begins to go through this, and he goes on, and I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. It's a reference to the Messiah. There will be a temple. There'll be a new temple. But it's the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he will come again. Is anybody excited about that today? Man, that's the hope, folks. And then he goes through this whole thing about defilement, and, and I'm just right out there, be holy if you, as you go verses 10 through <coughs> 14. And then verse 15, here it is again, I told you, fourth time. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stove was laid on another in the Lord's temple. So he's getting them to consider. He's getting them to think about it. It's worthy. It's my house. It's my significance. It's my name. If you go to Jerusalem today, there's not a temple. <clears throat> it was ruined. It was destroyed. And there's a place. You see it in all the pictures of Israel. It has a big gold dome. It's called the Dome of the Rock, the Muslim shrine, temple, if you will. But one day, Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to touch his foot down there on this earth. And he's going to reign as supreme ruler of heaven and earth once and for all. And all are going to see that Jesus Christ is king. Yeah. And you're like, man, he's going to liberate us. And you know why Christ died for us to liberate us? That we could serve him and love him. So this morning, I'm going to invite the team up because, man, I'm just going on and on. Man, I'm so excited about these passages and, and what God's got for his church today. <coughs> But Christ would just say this to you and say it to me. Keith, put me first. Keep me first. Focus on me. Have full devotion to Jesus. Be committed to Christ and obey me in all things. And if you do that, I will bless you that you might be a blessing to others and to the nations. God, make this a house of blessing for families, for marriages, for singles, for homeless, for rich, for poor, for educated, for religious. God, make this a place where your spirit dwells. And the people of God said, amen. amen. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for the promise of Scripture this morning that you have saved us, you've redeemed us for a purpose, for a perfect plan. <clears throat> and Lord, one day you're going to come and you're going to shape the heavens and the earth and Lord, I pray that we would learn from Haggai today, that we would not be so attached to temporal things that will not last, but we would give those up for the eternal things of Christ, for the eternal things of the kingdom. So God, this morning, I ask you to do a great thing. I ask you to stir the hearts of this church. Stir my heart. Stir the church's fire. Burn in us, mighty God. Do a new work today of faith. God will never say things will never change because by your spirit, things will change and they will be eternally different in Jesus Christ. God, we love you. And we ask that today somebody would call upon the matchless name of Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. <clears throat> if you want to talk about knowing Christ, putting Christ first, I'm in the back of the room. It'd be an honor just to share faith with you about what Jesus has done for me and what he can do for you. God, we love you. We bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.